Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, what's up? I'm Erica Cruz Guevara, the host of The Bay. Donations keep independent journalism alive and healthy. And you support outstanding journalism when you support KQED. So if you haven't yet, check out donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcasts with an S. From KQED. The Black Panthers are often remembered as men, usually armed men, at least in mainstream history books and news media. In reality, though, women led much of the work, especially the programs like the free breakfast and medical clinics. That history has largely been overlooked, but lots of people still remember the legacy these women left behind. And soon they'll be honored in a mural that'll be over 2,000 square feet on a house in West Oakland. If there's one group of revolutionaries that are invisible, it's the women of the Black Panther Party. And I would be more than honored to see them on my house every day. Today, we're honoring the women of the Black Panther Party in the Bay Area. We'll hear about the mural that pays tribute to their work, and we'll also speak with two women about what it was like. I'm Devin Kadiyama. Welcome to the Bay. I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Randad Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. Last summer, you know, May and June, when all of this was happening, I noticed that the murals were going up and the art in in and of themselves was bringing me joy. The content of them was bringing me grief. This is Jill Vest, who owns a home in West Oakland where she's lived for about 21 years. It was mural after mural after mural memorializing a dead black person that had been killed by the police. And it was just blocks and blocks and blocks of them. So then that turned into, you know, where can I find my joy and participate in this rebellion at the same time? I walked the, you know, the length of Broadway one day, and by the time I got home, I looked up at this wall in my house, I said, you know what, I'm going to put a mural on my house, and unlike the murals in downtown Oakland, nobody can take it down. So that permanence 
of what I wanted to celebrate when it came to being a black woman was really different than the, than the temporariness of the murals in downtown. The first person I called was Erica Huggins, who we share community together. I've known her for many years and I wanted to ask her permission. I wanted to get her blessing. I wanted to make sure it was okay. You know, because sometimes it, there's, there's a certain culture of people that they decide how they're going to honor you. And it has actually nothing to do with you. It has to do with them. And I really wanted to make sure that that's not what I was doing. Let's talk a little bit about the mural that's going to go up on your house. What exactly is, is the idea for the mural and where on your house is it going to go? So my house is on a corner in West Oakland. It's right on the corner of Center and Ninth. I live across the street from where Huey Newton was murdered in 89. So I have one side of my entire house that is visible um, to many people. And the back of my house is visible clearly to Peralta, which is where there's a, an elementary school, meaning you can see it from two blocks away in the side of the house. You can see it from a distance. The mural on the side of my house is going to be, you know, 30-foot-tall images of black women from the Panther Party. And then the rest of the side of the house is going to be covered with their names, with the, with the women of the Panther Party names that we've been collecting since June. And then the other words are going to be a highlight of the over 60 survival programs that they created and ran and managed. And then the back of the house is going to be a beautiful quote from Sandra Bland. So oftentimes when you see imagery that portray women of the Panther Party, it's Angela Davis, it's Kathleen Cleaver, it's Elaine Brown, it's Erica Huggins, it's Asata Shakur, so it's these same core people. But they're you know, at the height of the membership of the Black Panther Party, 70% of the members were women. And nobody knows. I didn't know no, that. No, I, I didn't know that. I imagine most people don't know that. And isn't that the most stunning statistic? It's just amazing. And, you know, we spoke to a brother in San Francisco, um, James Burford, and he said that when he was a Panther in San Francisco, that there were times where it was three to one and oftentimes five to one women to men. They um, were feeding children in the morning. They were collecting clothes to give out for free. They were finding shoes to donate. They were running the clinics and doing sickle cell anemia testing and screening. They were doing door-to-door elder checks. They were handing out tens of thousands of bags of groceries. They were editors of the newspaper. They were printers on the newspaper. They were artists on the newspaper. They drove the vans from... The newspapers being printed to the locations of where they're going to be sold to the airport so that they can the newspapers could be flown across the country because the headquarters were being printed in San Francisco. Um, they literally did everything. Yeah, it sounds like they were doing the work of the tenants that the Panthers laid out. Right. So they they and you know what has been so important and so um, prevalent in the conversations that I'm having with Erica is what she has said to me more than once is there would be no Black Panther Party without the women. Given the fact that they contributed so much and were so important to the Black Panther Party, why do you think the women 
were so invisible. It was the way the Black Panther Party was depicted. They were depicted as these scary black men with guns that were terrorists and that were going to destroy the American way of life. And that trope supports the tenet of white supremacy, right? Women are are often not spoken of. They're not highlighted. I think it's just a common thing that we live in a world that's male-dominated and we live in, especially when you're looking at media and you're looking at the way history is written, it's, it's always written from that perspective. And I don't expect that to change. But what I can do is I can change this little corner of West Oakland. You mentioned how you're in communication with some of the, the women of the Black Panther who are still, some of them are still living in the Bay Area here. Um, can you tell me what that's been like to connect with them? It's been pretty amazing. Um, and it was, again, you know, thank you to Erica Huggins, who was um, instrumental in contacting these women and sharing my information with them. And, um, you know, them reaching out to me and I would just get calls, you know, I wouldn't recognize the area code and I would pick it up and there I'd be speaking with, you know, Sister Barbara Easley Cox in Philadelphia, who had me in stitches for an hour and a half on the phone. And, you know, I've spoken with Sister Ethel Paris in the Midwest. And um, I mean, I, I can't, I would have to pull them up. There's been so many. There were, you know, several times where I would hang up the phone and just stand still for a couple of minutes and saying, did that just happen? Everything makes me cry at this point. <laughs> this whole process has been so emotional and so beautiful and so unexpected in so many ways. And um, I, I have made connections with people from the generation before me and the generation after me that I know will be in my life for the next generation to come. It's been really a blessing and I feel very honored. I want to go back to the idea that we talked about at the beginning of, of permanence and thinking about the murals that you saw and the mural that's going to go on your house. Um, because over the years in Oakland, like we've seen displacement, we've seen gentrification of black people, but the mural and your home represents in, in one way, this, this permanent um, image and this permanent idea and this permanent piece of, of Oakland's important history and of, and of black people's presence in the city. So how are you thinking about this idea of permanence in the context of the mural? I think that permanence, that desire for permanence that I'm fighting for, you know, I get letters every other week. I get phone calls at least once a week for somebody trying to buy the house. Oh, we'll buy it for you. Cash, cash, cash. You see the cash signs everywhere throughout this community. So for me, you know, I want this mural to um, be a blessing on this community that often is spoken of negatively because it's a historically black community. Um, and this is a beautiful community I've lived in for 21 years and it's filled with amazing people that have lived here their entire lives that were born in the houses that they live in. And so part of this is my thank you to West Oakland. It's my thank you to the women of the Black Panther Party in that I want um, specifically women and girls to be able to walk up to the house and like, you know, look up at these 40 foot women and 
and to stand taller because the world, um, it's heavy, it's heavy and it's very heavy for black bodies and your, your shoulders can bow very easily, your back can bend very easily and you have to be very intentional to survive that. I, you know, if it, if it helps one little girl stand up straighter, then I will have succeeded. Thank you so much for sharing everything with us. Thank you. Coming up, a conversation with two women who are part of the Black Panther Party. Stay with us. Hey there, this is Alan Monticilio. I'm the editor of The Bay. KQED is hoping to learn more about how you listen to podcasts and what you love about them. So if you have just 10 minutes to spare, please fill out our podcast survey. It's at kqed.org slash podcast survey. I know there's so much going on right now, but if you have the time, we'd really, really appreciate it. This will help us, help me, Devin, Erica, all of us at KQED continue to bring you shows that matter to you. So once again, that's kqed.org slash podcast survey. And thanks. And I want to ask both of you this question, but Miss Dawson, I'll start with you. Um, how did you first hear about the mural? Well, my son, my darling son, uh, Sylvestre, called me and said that he knew a young woman um, and she was doing a mural to honor the work of the women in the Black Panther Party, which let me just say that phrase right there, honoring the women in the Black Panther Party is so incongruent with anything I've ever known, heard or experienced that I was shocked. Hi, I'm uh, actually I'm Reverend Cheryl Dawson. I'm a Berkeley girl born and raised, and I began my service with the party and my service for our people in Berkeley. Uh, my days would begin with me wrapping my daughter in her little cute uh, three-month-old clothing and uh, making her up to be a little doll, which she, which she was mine. Loaded her up into a little rumbly Volkswagen and took off down the street on my way in the dark to headquarters. And as I was driving down the street, I would pass the FBI. And as soon as I pass by, they start up and they follow me and my baby girl to my destination. That's how my day started every day. The second amazing thing was that I made it there unscathed and that I left my baby in the hands of another sister whom I had just met, whom I didn't know well, so that I could go tend to the babies in the community. So we had a tremendous amount of trust deposited of, among us. And that touched me daily, being a mother myself 
and having the opportunity to not only cook for the children, but to make sure after they had completed their meal that their little faces were clean. Give them a little kiss on their cheek and say, go be magnificent. This world is yours. They won't tell you, but I'm telling you right now, you can do whatever you want and I'll see you in the morning. Be strong and be mighty, you know, because they were going into a world that didn't want them. And I knew that. So the breakfast program was not just about giving breakfast. The breakfast program was providing solace to an entire community and soothing the hurt and increasing the trust so that folks felt free to give you their most valuable possessions for a few moments and send them on the way, knowing that we would bless them and we would encourage them to stand against all that was coming their way. I was no different than my sisters there. We all had the same objective. Hi, I'm Erica Huggins, and um, I grew up in Washington, D.C., and then John Huggins and I decided to travel across the country, and we ended up in Los Angeles to join the Black Panther Party there, where we were both in that chapter. Then I came back to California, to Oakland in 1971, and I've been here ever since. And, and Erica, how did you first hear about the mural? Were you, were you shocked as well when you got this call? No. I facilitate conversations about racial equity. That's the work I do and have been doing. And what I, what I found is that people would ask me an odd question. What was the role of women in the Black Panther Party? And we did everything. And then some. And we were also unsung. And so um, all of my adult life, I keep saying the names of women in the party and I keep trying to encourage people to know who they are. This didn't shock me. It touched my heart very deeply. When you think about the specific role that women played in, in the Black Panther Party, what do you think are some of the most significant contributions that women specifically made to the party we did everything in the party i mean and we never thought twice about it during our days my days there you know in the evenings after the free breakfast program after the daily meetings in the community to establish new services, after, after doing all of that, talking to all of my neighbors, and then being picked up in the evening, well, it's time to make dinner. As a matter of fact, before you make dinner, it's time to make the community rounds, because then it's time to go and check on Mother Brown and Miss Evans and Miss Gloria or Mr. Pete and make sure they have their medication for the night, make sure they are not alone if they're not supposed to be alone, call their loved ones if they're waiting for them, make sure they have their food, make sure they'll be safe, make sure that all the children are safe. After you make your rounds in the community and you take a little time for dinner, it's time for what I used to call the dreadful political education classes because they would go on forever. And I used to always fall asleep and they would say, they would say Miss Cheryl, Sister Cheryl, stand up. And so I have to stand up. But what I want to say about that political education is that that has been the foundation of my knowledge and all my clinical work from that time forth.
It was a magnificent undertaking. It was a veil ripping. It was um, a, a myth breaker. It was a, a door opener so that I could see further into my history. And for once, I could have a clear understanding of the machinations that I could feel clearly, but couldn't quite identify. So I, I know something's pressing on my back, but for goodness sake, I can't find it. You know, where is it? Is it just the fact that they're shooting us every day? Or is it the fact that we can't get an education? Is it the fact that we're hungry? And from whence did it originate? And those are the kind of soul-shaking informational blocks that I received there that I passed on to women all the time. Erica, I noticed you um, nodding a lot about what uh, Ms. Dawson was saying about the breakfast program. What, what memories stood out to you most? So many memories. The People's Free Medical Clinics, Cheryl, I want to thank you for what you just said. It was so, so reminded me of my most memorable part of being in the Black Panther Party. And that is, as we used to say, it was a motto, um, Devin. We serve the people body and soul. We really oh. meant it. It wasn't just a something we were saying. We, right. we poured our hearts and our minds mm -hmm. and our bodies into it. We worked long days and we didn't just do one thing or the other because Cheryl, I'm sure after you finished with the breakfast program, then you had this and then you had that. That's right, that's right, Till, until deep in the night. It's like when the slaves used to say from Cain to can't see, that's how we used to work from dark 30 until late in the midnight hour, you know. Exactly right. And and we were young, Devin. We were so young. Mm -hmm. I joined the Black Panther Party. I was 18 and a half. And when John Huggins, who became my husband, was assassinated at UCLA, he was 23. Yeah, I heard the average age is like was 19, I think. The average age was 19. And so for the listeners who are young, this is an important thing to recognize. And, um, but my favorite memory is of the Oakland Community School. It was from 1973 to 1982, that school existed. We bought an all old church building at 61st and East 14th Street, which is now International Boulevard, it had other names before that. It was the same kind of premise that we'd be community-based, tuition-free, child-centered, steeped in love. And every day I had the opportunity to be with children as they could learn and grow without judgment or constriction or control or being asked to sit a different way or wear their hair different or look different. They were not judged, not only by the color of their skin, but the shade of that color. The shade, that's right. Um, that's we right. just didn't do it. So our staff meetings were very, very powerful because we had to talk ourselves out of our own socialization. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. That. We didn't know how to do what we did, but we just did it. The way we came up with how that school would be, was that we asked ourselves in the staff meeting prior to the school's opening, what would we have needed and wanted in the public schools that we grew up in, in the various cities we were from? So that's just a snippet of the list, but that school actually did that. What 
what do you want black women today to take away from the legacy of the women in the Black Panther Party? Courage, commitment, faith, and connection. Those four things. Because too often as black women, we grow up alienated, isolated, marginalized, and segregated from one another. From one another. So I, I want them to have that because in that commitment is power. And I understand now what I didn't understand then, that we had and we exemplified incredible courage to stand against all the forces which united against us. We brought that with us. No, we brought that with us. The women who may have gone back to a home where they were a single parent, who may have gone back into an abusive situation for the evening, who probably grew up poor and don't, didn't have much uh, financial uh, recompense at their disposal, but we brought that courage with us. And it never crossed our minds that we should stop because we were followed, that we should stop because our homes were under surveillance, that we should stop because we could lose our life with the next breath. It never crossed our mind. So, so that commitment, that courage, that connection, and that faith will bring us up. It will buoy us to the next level and allow us to be connected and to be a force with whom folks must reckon. Erica, you talked a little bit about this earlier, but what do you believe the legacy of the women of the Black Panther Party is today? My memory of the women is that we were always fighting for or with. And I, uh, why do I say that? Because I participated many times in meetings where a, a mother came. She said, when are y'all going to have adult literacy programs? It, where I live in the housing project that I live in, the young people can't read. And so we started one. We listened to people. We didn't go tell people, here's what you need. But I want to share with you something that stays in, in my mind about the community survival programs, which were primarily run by women. Not because it was women's work, but because we would take on whatever the biggest challenge was and stay with it. We didn't drop balls. So I wanted to share with you something that J. Edgar Hoover himself said about the Black Panther Party in a memo. It's not their desire to defend themselves with guns that I worry about. It's that breakfast program. That's what they were afraid of. That and the most outstanding human beings that were drawn to the Black Panther Party. Asada Shakur being one of them. Afeni Shakur, another one. But then there are the people like Joan Kelly Williams, who people don't even know her name, but she ran the Oakland Community Learning Center on very little sleep and no money. We didn't pay ourselves. I was on welfare being the director of Oakland Community School. That was my choice. But for him to say that, let me know that he was quite smart. He understood that if people trusted us, uh-oh, for the government. So we just kept doing what we were doing, but we suffered a lot. As one party member once said to me, for years after the party, we were walking wounded. 
oh God, we were decimated. Yes. And women particularly, yes. not instead of men, but particularly because yeah. we were the backbone, the pillars. I see this mural also as a great healing force. When Jill said to me, I want to see young girls walk by this mural and see all these faces of women of the Black Panther Party. I wanted to see young women stop and, and, and you know, hold their shoulders back, you know, feel proud. And when she said those things to me, I remembered all of these women. I can't even, it would take me forever to say their names. The women of the Black Panther Party were incredibly brave. There are women today that are incredibly brave. They are young, they are Black, they are brown, they're immigrant, they're queer, they are um, forward-thinking and open-hearted and generous of spirit. And we want them all to know that we stand with them, those of us who are still alive that we stand with them because we were them. A group of high school women asked me, they said, Miss Erica, what do you have to say to some young women like us, some young black women? And I said this, and it's become something that I share with people whenever they ask me. Love is a great power. Use it to transform your world. Thank you both so much for speaking with us. This has been a real honor. Thank you. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Erica, I'll be in touch, my darling. Oh, I hope so, Cheryl. Okay, bye. Bye, everybody. That was Reverend Cheryl Dawson and Erica Huggins, both former members of the Black Panther Party. We also heard from Jill Vest, whose home is going to host the mural and who's also planning a live event that you can watch on YouTube Sunday, February 14th at 1 p.m. People are going to be sharing stories about the women of the Black Panthers, and it'll just be a general celebration of the women in the mural itself. This episode was produced by Erica Cruz Guevara, Asal Asanapur, myself, and our editor, Alan Montecilio. We also get help each week from Issa Mendoza. And just a quick note that I'm going to be off the rest of the week, so Alan's going to be sitting in the host chair. The Bay is created by your local public media station, KQED. I'm Devin Kadiyama. That's it from us. Talk to you next time. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. You get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks.